are we are we are the, the nonprofit, nonprofit collective, collective podcast bringing together voices to explore and inspire the nonprofit world everyone and welcome to the Nonprofit Collective podcast. Today's episode will be focusing on interview best practices and lightly touches around the topics of recruitment, turnover, and some best practices within the HR realm of working in a nonprofit. We are delighted to have interviewed Megan Montmany, who is a student at Northeastern University and who did a really intriguing project on interview questions and how we can make sure that we are asking the questions that give us the information that we want from a candidate. So Ana Sophia led the interview and then she brought myself, Brianna, and Victoria into the conversation after her interview to kind of unpack a bit of what Megan had to say on this topic. And we presented our, our points of views and insights on this really interesting uh, high touch to some HR best practices. Sophia from the Nonprofit Collective Podcast, and I'm here with our guests for today. Megan, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about this project that you've been working on? Sure. Hi, Anna Sophia. Um, so my name is Megan Montminy, and I've been working in animal welfare, actually, as my nonprofit target for the last 12 years. I started out as a volunteer and just have continued to work my way up into higher level management. Um, right now, I oversee a team and I have 20 direct reports. And you get to work with a bunch of different projects within the animal shelter. But um, my goal as I move through my master's in nonprofit management is actually to become my own executive director and set culture and, you know, hire a really great team together and take off and kind of change the face of what animal welfare currently looks like. So uh, this project that I did was actually for a human resources course with Professor Arrowwood at Northeastern University. He was wonderful, like most excellent class I've taken so far and just part of my master's course. Um, he just, HR has been something that's always scared me. <laughs> it's, uh -huh. Things can go so sideways in such a hurry. Um, so I loved it. I thought his course was outstanding and really great. So um, our final project from him was to go ahead and interview an HR professional and talk to them about their, you know, their day to day and kind of some of the trials that they face and some of the tips and tricks they've learned. And so I asked him if I could take it one step further and create a manager's guide to the interview. So what I did was to figure out different questions that we could be asking. You know, we were in the process of interviewing a bunch of different new hires. And there were a couple of times in the interview, I actually had to stop the candidate and redirect them because they were going down a path that was going to get us in a whole lot of trouble. Interesting. <laughs> it was fascinating, the oversharing, right? And, it, and some of it was because of the question they were asked that it lent itself to have them overshare. Um, other times it was just a really bad question and the candidate would leave the interview and I would feel like I didn't have nearly enough information. I didn't know them well enough to know if they would fit our culture, if they would you know, be sticking around or if this was just a kind of pass through opportunity for them or if they would fit and actually be able to perform the duties of the job. Yeah, that 
That makes so much sense. I've actually been in that situation myself, and I wish I had some kind of guidance in it. I, I did it myself. I feel that most of the time in nonprofit world, you find yourself in a situation, and you adapt, and you learn it on the ground, and you go with it, right? But this would have been really cool to have in the background. I want to hear more about uh, your process in the background. So how did you research for this? What types of resources and sources did you use to kind of put all this together? So I went to a bunch of different sources to kind of figure out the different types of questions and what that meant. Um, I have my brother-in-law as an attorney, and so he was talking to me about leading questions. And, you know, attorneys will sometimes use that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, but this is the opposite. Don't do that. <laughs> exactly. Don't use that when you're interviewing a, a you know, a potential candidate. Uh, we, we don't need to lead them to the direct, you know, correct, our correct answer. Um, we can let them answer it all on their own. So, so I talked to him about leading questions, and then we got into a conversation about hyphen hypothetical questions with an HR professional that I'd worked with in Florida. Um, And we talked about hypothetical because I've gotten faced with a lot of hypothetical, what would you do if type questions. And she was saying those are actually not good to use in an interview. Um, Save it for when the candidate has actually been hired and now you're onboarding and is part of your training process. Ah, So that was was a really great tip. Why? Back up one second. Why aren't those good questions to use? The hypothetical what if or what would you do in this situation? So the hypothetical what if questions are difficult because we already know sort of how we would handle it, right? We're already in the trenches. We're with the business. We know what we would do. The problem is that it's a hypothetical. We're asking them to guess and not actually display past behaviors, And what we want to do by asking behavioral-based questions is figure out how they've handled it. You know, how have you handled this scenario of having a difficult coworker in the past? What have you actually done? Not guessing at what they might do. I see. So maybe more instead of like, what if, uh, for example, from your um, example before that you had some crisis management stuff, what if... Uh, there was a donor that was really upset, what would you do? Instead, you'd phrase it more like, so have you ever had a donor be upset about it? How did you handle it? That kind of thing. That's exactly correct. Yeah, we want to test for past behaviors. And I work in animal behavior, and we always tell folks that past behavior is a predictor of future behavior. And I do the same thing with candidates, too. When I'm interviewing, it's easy when you, you know, how have you handled this in the past gives you a good gauge for what they'll do in the future. Ooh, very cool. And very easy to just switch that language so it's more um, past behavior instead of what if. That's really cool. That's exactly it. And that's a lot of what I did with this whole project was analyzing some of these questions to go, okay, how could I rephrase this in a way that's going to help me get better information about my candidate, figure out if they're really a good fit for our culture, and also prevent turnover. Right. We know that turnover is just so expensive in a lot of different ways when you're working in a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And it's very prevalent in nonprofits. So, yes, this would yes. be <laughs> yes, very <it> helpful. Is. <laughs> so why don't we get down to the nitty gritty? Walk me through one of these interview questions that, um, you know, folks originally use and, and tell me what elements you've identified as maybe problematic. And then what would this new question actually be? Absolutely. So one of um, my favorite questions that I hear a lot in interviews is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how detail-oriented are you? 
So, and so I'd we understand. Say 10. <laughs> right, exactly. Who's going to give us an actual one or a two? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, so we know right from the start we're not going to get an honest answer from our candidate. We might. We might get somebody who says I'm about a seven or about an eight. Um, the problem is that this is a closed question, so it's almost a yes/no in a way. It um, is, yeah. Right, but it also the candidate is giving you an opinion of their skills, and we have no way of measuring it. So I like to ask questions, right, that I can dig into. Tell me more about that. Can you describe that for me? And this one, in and of itself, doesn't give us a way to do that. Yeah. So what would, how would you change that up? So what I would do instead is, again, past behavior. So I would say, describe a time when you had to ensure you didn't make any mistakes on an assignment. What process did you use to proofread and check your work? That's a hard question to answer, too. Isn't it? Really <laughs> yes. It's hard on the interviewee. You have to think back and be like, okay, let me think. But it makes sense. I, I get why that might show you more an, a, a solid example of someone's past behavior and how they handled it. So that's really cool. Exactly. You know, and it gets them a chance to actually talk a little bit about what process they've used. And I actually had a candidate just a couple of weeks ago start sharing with me that she had an assignment and she made a whole bunch of mistakes on it. And then as she was working through her process to proofread it, she discovered all of her errors. Um, and so it was nice because she shared that she started at about, you know, a two or a three on the scale. And as she was working through reading it and submitting to a coworker to have them double check her work um, and go through with a highlighter and highlighting her mistakes, that she was actually able to, you know, kind of fine tune her skills a, bit, a little bit better. Yeah, that's kind of cool, too, because you still got an answer on this scale of one to 10 internal, like, you know, as you're thinking how they answer, but then also get more of a narrative of where they're at. That's really cool. Exactly. You know, and we also want to be careful that candidates come in, they're obviously really nervous, right? And that's, yeah. you know, and I respect that. And I understand it. I get nervous too in an interview. Um, <laughs> but I want to make sure I don't set candidates up to start oversharing either, um, right? And get us into like a discrimination type territory. Yeah. So why don't you walk me through one of those types of questions, those leading questions? How, how can we fix them to be, um, you know, more appropriate for this setting? Oh, absolutely. So let's see. Okay. So um, the next question I have a, that's kind of a leading question is, tell me about a time when you had to balance competing deadlines and were successful. Oh, the leading when yeah. were you successful. Got it. <laughs> exactly. So we're telling um, them already. Yeah. So tell me, talk about how you got to the new question. We know the intent behind this question is we, we want to discover how a candidate can manage their time, right? That's the, you know, working in the nonprofit arena, we all tend to wear a lot of different hats throughout the course of the day. And sometimes there are multiple deadlines coming up very quickly. And so we do have to figure out, okay, what's the most pressing and how can I work at it? Um, and that's that's what we're really looking for here. So when I rewrote this question, I rewrote it more to about, tell me about a time when you had to balance competing deadlines and how you structured your time. So instead of talking about success, it's more the process of how they prioritized everything. You got it. And yeah, and this also opens the door too that maybe there was a time when they weren't successful at it. You know, maybe they learned some really good lessons about structuring their time a little bit differently and balancing competing deadlines and I personally think we learn a lot more when we make a mistake and kind of fall on our face and then try again. Yeah. 
Is there another question you want to share with us? One more? I have I have one more. Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay. And this one, on the surface, this sounds completely harmless, right? So we walk in and it's an icebreaker question. And the icebreaker question is, tell me about yourself. Very open. Um, <laughs> which is great. It does get the candidate talking. <laughs> right. About um, everything. But I also sometimes, look, depending on everything and anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I know when I've gotten this question, you know, sitting on the other side of the table as the candidate, I have this moment of, well, where should I go with it? There, right. That happens to How, me all the time. This is the question that I actually prepare, the response I prepare the most because I need, otherwise I will go everywhere, even knowing that I need to stay on track. So yeah. Right. And I do the same thing. I go, okay, where should I start? Should I start back from, I graduated from college and went to music school and taught, you know, K to 12 music for seven years. Like, where do you go with this? Yes. So, um, so when I started thinking about that a little bit more, I was trying to figure out what makes me so uncomfortable about this question. And I felt like the team was unprepared. So, and like the people who are asking the question are unprepared? Exactly. Oh, interesting. I, you know, so I was trying to figure out, okay, why am I so uncomfortable? I don't, you know, why is this question so hard? What I came up with is I've already submitted my resume. I've already submitted a cover letter and likely completed an application at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, has the team reviewed my information at all? Oh, that's true. Like, have you, have you read anything at all about me? Exactly. So how would you change that up a bit so it might be more approachable and and make folks more comfortable when they're in the interview chair? And I like the icebreaker questions. I like the, you know, get to know you, not form, you know, it's not a formal, what have you done and and replaying scenarios, you know, higher level type thinking. So I like that breaking the ice part of it. What I try to do is find something that we all share in common from the resume. Okay. Okay. So, for example, what kind of question would you ask in that scenario instead? What I might ask is um, if I can find a commonality on their resume, something that I do as well, look for a hobby even, right? And I might use that. I might say, you know, oh, I noticed that you like to go hiking in your spare time. Tell me more about that. Where where have you gone? Um, you know, or I'll even ask a candidate, what do you do for fun in your spare time? And it's fun because you can usually see folks kind of relax and smile a little bit because they're thinking about something they really enjoy doing. Yeah, I also like it because it's very personal. It's not, it doesn't sound so generic, even though you're getting a good, good feel for the person and figuring out if they fit culturally with your organization, but it's very personal also, and it's not out of a form. So I really like that. You know, it's been nice, too, because I can watch candidates when they come in and I'll find something on their resume of, oh, I saw you swim competitively in high school. You know, <laughs> so did I. Or, right. And we'll talk <laughs> about those those fun and they get smiling and you can just see them kind of relax and settle in, um, which is, you know, it's a nice way to set up the interview, too. Of I'm not here to be threatening. right? Yeah. We, let's just get to know each other better. <laughs> And that's so nice, especially when you're so nervous. So yeah. So before we wrap up, I wanted to get some tips or things to keep in mind for folks that um, are kind of going through this interview process, this hiring process and, mm-hmm. and holding these types of interviews. What are these some last mm-hmm. words of wisdom that you might have? One of my biggest ones is making sure that the room that you set up um, is warm and welcoming. 
right? We don't want to set up where the candidate's got sun in their eyes um, or you have sun in your eyes and you're trying to have a conversation. Um, I also want to make sure that the rest of the team knows that this is undisturbed time, um, that there is absolutely no reason that's good enough to interview, you know, to interrupt an interview setting. I want to make sure the room that we're using to interview is somewhat private as well, that you know, kids could be sharing something that's a little bit sensitive about a past employer or a situation they've had to handle. And I just want to make sure that nobody walking by accidentally hears something that they shouldn't hear. And I have two last quick questions um, when I'm walking into the interview that, um, that I think of, right, as the one who's actually doing the interview. Um, what do I want to know? and confirm right by the end of the interview. And then what do I want to make sure that my candidate knows by the end of the interview? So those are my two, as I'm walking in the door to go say hello to someone, those are the two things that I'm thinking about. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Um, I hope that it helps folks think about it when they're forming their questions for their hiring process and really trying to find those candidates that really match not only the position, but, you know, the, the organization as well. It's really important, especially in the nonprofit world. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anna Sophia. I really appreciate your time. Brianna and Victoria on board to kind of react to the conversation that I had with Megan earlier. There is just so many good nuggets from the conversation. So I want to turn the tables and ask you what you thought about this conversation. Was there anything that really stood out to you? Yes, I really liked the conversation with Megan. I think that for people like ourselves who are probably newer on the management side, that hiring is one of those big things that in the nonprofit world usually just get thrown into. I remember the first time that I hired, you know, a staff member, I was just online Googling like interview questions to ask, like, how do you do this? And so it's great to be thinking about this now. I think that I did have some, what I'm going to call hot takes of things that I might want to push back on a little bit from what she was saying. And one of them thinking about being earlier in our careers is this idea that you want to phrase the questions rather than being hypothetical to being situational, looking at historic behavior, which totally makes sense. But if you're an incoming staff member from college or you had a different job before, like you might not have that experience. And I think that leaving the door open to some hypothetical and to maybe people didn't react the best way the first time and they want to talk more about what they would do differently. So that was one thing that I noticed. I don't know, Brianna, if that stuck out, stood out to you at all as well. Yeah, it did. I, I agree with what you're saying, Victoria. I personally do my interviews based on behavioral questions. Um, and I think just where I'm at with my career and who I'm hiring to to support me and or uh, managing up, I, I do like to get a sense of what they have done in the past versus what you think would be the answer that I'm looking for, which I think is where Megan was coming from with why hypotheticals aren't the best. However, there are questions that you can ask in a hypothetical way that give you insight into how the candidate would approach a certain situation or approach a problem. For example, I was asked uh, in an interview within your first 30 days, what would be 
your first steps to kind of just feeling out the the organization and how would you go about getting to know like where we are and like where where we need improvement or like what's working right or or wrong uh and i was able to answer that hypothetically but it wasn't an answer that she'd asked me in a way of what have you done in the past to do this it was having to present my my um process in a hypothetical way but i want to fight you back on that too because that was the whole conversation that we had with megan was looking at how you solve a problem based on how you've done things before, not in a hypothetical situation. Like, yes, what if you got this job? How would you deal with your first 30 days? True, but it wasn't framed in that way. It's more framed of the next 30 days are happening. What do you do? Instead of what if we are in a crisis situation and you have to deal with this? Um, I think that's what where she was coming from. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. And as a candidate being asked those type of questions, the hypothetical questions, I would bring in your experience to say, yeah, I've done that before. So this is the approach that I would take. And I know that this approach works because I've done this prior. And here are the behaviors that show that I've done it and I've done it well. Um, As the person doing the interview, if you are wanting to see that that thought process, you could reframe the question to say, in the past, tell me about a time that you had to approach a problem that you didn't have any direction on. And like, what, how did you start that approach or process? Yeah. But to Victoria's point, I, you know, you also need to frame it in a way that's correct for your candidate. And would I ask somebody coming in at an entry level to give me an example of a problem solving skill when I see that they maybe have six months of an internship and, um, you know, a a college degree and they're fresh out of college looking for their first job? Uh, You can find behaviors that can transfer to the question that I'm asking, um, but it might be an easier approach to to give it to them in a hypothetical way and then to reframe it and say, now that you've told me that what your approach would be, do you have an example of when you've used that approach in the past? Yeah. Yeah. I, there's another question that sparked my interest that I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on, which is the tell me about yourself and turning that into tell me about a hobby of yours or even looking to see if you have anything in common. What did you guys think about that? My take on that was the less personal you can get in an interview, the better, because it leaves less room um, for bias. Uh, So if somebody you're asking them, like, what do you do in your free time? And, uh, you know, I play softball on my free time. And so if the person's like, oh, you know, I play softball for a team. And then we start getting into a discussion about, you know, what position do you play and how long and yada, 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 and everything that goes on with this mutual hobby that we have, that could lead me to like her mm-hmm. or him more, completely based off of the fact that we have something in common, and not so much based on the their skill set that they can bring to this position. So I, I would be cautious with um, using that approach. I, I get what Megan was saying as an as an icebreaker, but I would just be very cautious of your bias if you were to have that connection with someone. Even if we don't think we're being biased, there's potential for us to move that candidate further because of that connection that we have. Well, then here's something to think about. How would you 
do an icebreaker question that would get both you and the candidate comfortable then. Because when I go into an interview, that helps me kind of feel the person out. I can get their tone. I understand where they're coming from. I get how laid back or, or formal I have to be. So that kind of gives me a cue when I'm going into an interview to be the candidate. And on the other side, I, the way that they answer, a candidate answer, gives me cues about how I treat them. So, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Brianna, that you want to be as unbiased as possible. But then how do you build that rapport with someone? Hey, that's that's a good question. Um, I can just yeah, say. Well, it's all <laughs> their ideas. Like, what, what is an idea yeah. of building a rapport? Because that's the hardest thing to do. And, and you really want to find someone that fits your culture and that you yes. think is a good match for your organization. So how do you do that in that first interview where you're like, don't know anything about this person? Well, well, getting a culture fit and getting an icebreaker to make them feel comfortable are two different things. So getting a candidate comfortable, I usually ask like, you know, how was your uh, transport in? Did everything go smoothly? How's your week been? Did you do anything so fun over the weekend? Talk. I do small talk. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's potential that like if I asked what you did over the weekend they again could go and say they played softball and then we would open up to this like, oh, I play softball too. So it's it's just being uh, conscious of when those um, bias opportunities can come up. Uh, the culture fit is all about framing questions accurately that are going to get somebody's personality. And something else while we're on this note that you said earlier that I want to go back to is that uh, bias of hiring people like yourself. And I think that's such a good point. And one of the best hiring piece of hiring advice that I've gotten is to not just look at people who have the same strengths as you. Like you really want to look for people who have maybe it's different strengths for you to complement your team and not falling in that trap of, oh, that's how I present myself or, oh, I love her dress. Like, and then just using that to inform your decision making because it's not tied to the job and we got to focus on the job. You know, yes, how you get along as people, but I don't know. I just hate when bias comes into play and I know that we all have it, but we need to try to do the best we can to minimize that. Yeah. Victoria, I also wanted to ask you about, we were talking earlier about turnover and retention rates and and trying to, how that affects when you're doing interviews Mm -hmm. as well. I know Megan made a comment about wanting to find someone that's going to be with the organization for a while because it is a really Mm -hmm. big deal. So do do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would love to to share my thoughts. So when I heard that, like, I get it. I get that when you're hiring, you want to make it a really good fit. You want that person. And at that time you think, oh, if I just do a good job hiring, that person's going to stay a long time. It's going to be good for the organization and all that. And I just want to remind ourselves that so much of what decides turnover is not actually the employee's intentions going in, at least from my personal experience and the experiences of friends and other coworkers. It's what happens after day one when you get started and really putting the pressure on yourself as a manager to keep checking in. I like that the interviews are a time to be transparent, to talk about working style. And then sometimes a whole year goes by until you have your annual performance review. And it's like you're working together every day. How can we have a few more moments a year 
where we step back from the day to day, you know, this is what I need reviewed. This is what I need from you and have an honest conversation about how is it going? How are you feeling? Is my communication style working? You know, giving feedback a lot more than once a year is something that I also think that managers should be considering. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And I've been with organizations to where we've put a lot of emphasis on making sure that our managers are checking in with their direct reports on a frequent enough basis. And especially within the first 90 Mm -hmm. days as you're coming on to a new organization of wanting to get a clear picture of what do you want out of me as the new employee these 90 days. Yeah. And I actually have another really hot take that I have been thinking about. I actually read about it in New Power by Henry Timms and Jeremy Hymans. They talked about, you know, why are we all pretending sometimes that this is the only job we're going to have and the relationship not understanding that, okay, this employee, especially if it's an entry-level employee, Maybe they're going to be here two years and maybe both parties can kind of accept that and make the most out of the time and see it as employment as more of a project based in a way, you know, you're hired to take on this project, you want to be there for an appropriate amount of time that both parties get something out of it that your investment makes sense. But it just can be so strained with the relationship between managers and employees and also I really believe that there can be a downside of not enough turnover. Nobody nobody talks about that, um, but I have seen it. My friends and other people that I know um, about my age in the working world, when everyone has been in an organization a really long time, sometimes that's actually not great for the organization because people aren't open to changing landscapes. Everything is just how we've done it in the past new ideas never bubble up and you know there's a lot more to the turnover discussion and maybe that's it maybe that's another podcast but I just wanted to throw in some (laughs) hot takes around that but also maybe because we are just in this mindset that this is going to be someone's forever job but you're right Victoria the the sector doesn't work like that anymore you can expect someone to be in a job two years, three years. And that's, that's long time here. Um, It's quite normal to see that on someone's resume. So maybe keeping that in mind when you're writing up the job description, when you're asking someone questions, uh, when you're like, I mean, we, as Brianna was saying, there's the question of what would you do in your first 90 days kind of thing, but also maybe thinking about this role is for someone in two years, what could be accomplished in two years kind of thing. Maybe that's a good mindset to have when you're preparing the interview process for a new hire. I I read an article and I don't want to quote the company's name because I don't remember it correctly, but it was the CEO of a a large company who basically said as a millennial, if you're not switching jobs every two to three years, you're holding yourself back Mm -hmm. in your career. Uh, And that, that is to Victoria's point, especially in the nonprofit industry that people People do stay and that uh, the higher up that you go in the management chain, the longer people are in those positions and you won't necessarily see growth in the organization that you are in because there's no opportunity for growth because you have 
people staying in those roles for quite some time. Uh, so I thought it was a really interesting take for the CEO to come out and to say, um, you know, that that it's it should be expected uh, that millennials are leaving their jobs every two to three years to get higher pay, to get a better salary, to get uh, exposure to different um, skill set or different challenges that they want to learn about. Yeah. And I actually, I have only heard the rumblings of this, so I don't know that much about it, but I have heard that in some of these other sectors, these big um, firms, I think it's law firms. If you've been there a certain length of time, you're either promoted, you become partner or you leave. And the company, you know, I don't know if it's firing is exactly how it would be described, but there's this understanding that at a certain point, you know, even if you're doing pretty well, if it's not the perfect match and if you're not continuing to grow in the position and with the organization, that you're going to separate ways. And I, I mean, I never see that in the nonprofit sector. I mean, maybe for very obvious reasons about lack of funds and how it costs money each time someone leaves. But it is an interesting concept that I'd love to explore further. Can I can I take us back to interview yeah. questions? <laughs> I know we went off track. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. But it was a it was a good it was a good uh, tangent and one that um, I think to your point we need to to dig a little bit deeper in. So uh, maybe it's a stay tuned type uh, a stay tuned subject. Um, but to to Megan's point with some of the interview questions that she said to to not ask the one about like on a scale from one to ten how detail oriented would you rank yourself, um, uh, yeah, uh, like I would say ninety five percent of the time you're going to get people that are going to be like yeah. I'm an eight or a nine. Like nobody wants to score themselves a ten because you know that that's not uh, humanly I would. possible. I'm an eight, no matter what <laughs> yeah. it is. I'm an eight. Yeah. I'm an eight. I'm really we all, we all know you would, Anna. I'm like, no, I'm a ten. <laughs> I never make I never make mistakes. I'm a highly detail oriented. No, um, I make mistakes, but I'm very detail oriented, yes, and I catch yeah. them later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, her her point was a great point of um to to not give the candidate an opportunity to answer those questions with why they think they're detail oriented. So what makes you think that you're a 10 or what have you done uh, that showcases your skill set and being detail oriented? I also wanted to share one of my favorite interview questions to ask a candidate uh, and thinking back to, to Megan's point of uh, when she ended the interview of, you know, what, what information do I want to get out of this and what information do I want the candidate to get from this? Uh, and I think it's really important that you have a common understanding of what this role is and you grasp that the candidate gets what this role is going to be. Um, and I, I had this asked to me in an interview and I adopted it because I liked it so much. And it was, they asked me a few questions. I had the job description and they go, so what do you think the day-to-day of your job is going to be? And that's usually a question I ask the interviewer at the end when it's my turn as a candidate, when they open it up for questions of, you know, what's, what's the day-to-day of this job? And the fact that they turned the tables and asked me as the candidate what I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant question because how much am I paying attention and am I actually am I hearing what they are saying in the correct way that I'm grasping what this job actually is? Yeah. Oh, I've never thought of that. I mean, that's kind of, yeah, that would put me on the spot. Mm -hmm. 
And I know that's a point I of it. feel like yep. jobs, so I've been calling them lately in the interview process, are just black holes. It's so hard to try to figure out what's going on. So I do like that idea because getting at the day-to-day is it's super important. That's what you're going to be doing. And I think having uh, poor expectations, whether you weren't listening or they weren't describing it correctly, like that's the killer, right? Like you need to know going in good or bad, neutral. You just need to know what to expect so that you're prepared. And it is a two-way street, right? Like that's one of the most important parts of being a good hiring manager is to let people know what the job is and what the job is not. So that if they know that they're not going to be a good fit, they can opt out and you don't both have to go through the mess that is hiring the wrong person for a job. Yes. And as we all know, that is a very expensive um, mistake, I guess you can say, but sometimes it's just really hard to Mm -hmm. tell if that person's going to work out or not. And it's, it's just, it's a costly um, decision. Yeah. Hire slow, fire fast. I like it. So I want to wrap this up, but before I do, I, I asked Megan to give me some final tips that she wanted to share with everyone. I'm going to share one, but then I, I, I'd like to ask you, what are some final thoughts you have for folks that are going into this kind of process? Um, for me, when I first started interviewing um, and had to find a candidate, I, there was absolutely no process in place in the organization that I was doing it. So my biggest tip is to figure out exactly what you need, exactly what the position's going to do, and really fine-tune that job description, even if it's not the same one that you put out. Just internally, you know exactly what jobs what functions, what responsibilities this person will have so that you can really find someone that fits all those criteria. Yeah, I'll go next. I think and I think for our listeners, if you're tuning into a nonprofit podcast, you're probably the type of person to be prepared, but you should be prepared. I think that having structured interviews, especially for the first two rounds, having the questions predetermined, asking every single candidate all of the questions, writing down their responses, and then after it's all over, going back through, and I've literally done this and rating them, you know, 1.2.3.0, and going through and seeing who had the highest scores. And if something doesn't jive with what your gut's saying, okay. But if you just go in and you don't really have prepared questions, you just chat with them for 45 minutes, and then you have a different conversation with someone else, that's how bias gets in. You're not going to get the best candidate that way. And I think it's it does take time, but it's so worth it to go in being prepared. Yeah, and that's that's a tough one. Um, agreed that that's the best way to, to catch your bias is by asking the candidates um, the same or, or similar questions within each interview. Obviously, you're going to have different questions as you're getting more answers from the candidate, but really wanting to keep each interview feeling the same. Um, it's harder as you move up the ladder and it's harder to kind of get more senior management to to get on yeah. board with kind of doing the very structured interviews. Um, but it's a great place if you've have never interviewed or are uh, still kind of new to the interviewing process, I think Victoria's point is a awesome point. And I guess my my um, advice would be don't be afraid to ask for support. If you have HR 
within your your nonprofit, uh, let them know that they should probably start thinking about uh, offering resources to hiring managers when it comes to what what does the organization want this recruitment process to look like and how do they want to be represented uh, in this recruitment process and what can they provide you as a hiring manager to support with the the hiring process. Thank you. Um, This is very helpful just to keep it in mind as you're moving forward with the interview process, being very aware of how we ask these questions and really trying to find someone that matches uh, the organization's need is really important. I want to encourage everyone to check out our Facebook page and our Twitter. Our handle is NP Collective Pod.